coming to you from deep inside the vaults of the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music. I am Tom Holmes, your curator and guide to vintage electronic music and audio experimentation. This episode, Maximum Turntablism, Part 2. Like any performance medium, turntablism has its experimentalists, those who push the form in unexpected directions. The omnipresence of turntable music in today's culture has been likened to an earlier generation that grew up emulating rock and roll. Turntablist Christian Markley once said that today's new guitar is the turntable. For this episode, we are going to listen to examples of turntablism from its more recent history, where the turntable is combined with other electronics and audio processing. It will also include some examples of glitch music made with manipulated or damaged CDs. But before we get to those examples, I want to revisit a theme from the previous episode in which I explored the roots of what I call maximum turntablism. There's a story about the origins of French turntablism that will interest anyone who today is trying to organize their records and keep them in a library. Any record collector or DJ should be able to relate to this. For more than four years, from 1947 into 1951, the French broadcasting studio, under Pierre Schaeffer's direction, mastered the process of composing music using turntables. Until 1949, Schaefer operated largely as a producer of radiophonic works, collecting sounds on disc and laboring over their recording, editing, and organization. Accompanied by a mobile recording crew, he traveled about Paris collecting a variety of sounds, musical, industrial, ambient. These remote recordings were done using a mobile sound unit equipped with a disc lathe for recording. The tape recorder was not yet available. The collecting of sound samples appealed to Schaefer's innate passion for organization and cataloging. He viewed his endeavors as research and conducted his sound manipulation and editing activities as experiments or studies. As the library of sound samples expanded, discs were being stored in every available cupboard and cabinet space. By the spring of 1949, the collection of sound samples had amassed to nearly 6,000 disc recordings. At this time, Pierre Henri had started working alongside Schaefer in the studio as collaborator and creator of his own works. Henri's wife, Michelle Henri, volunteered to help organize the sound library, performing a task that many volunteer assistants before had been incapable of completing. She made progress by color-coding and sorting the material into broad categories, and the collection of sound objects continued to grow exponentially. One reason for this was a new turntable device, built for Schaefer. It could record discs at variable speeds, multiplying the possibilities for any one sound object. In early 1951, Schaefer returned to the studio after a lecture tour to find that Pierre Henri had essentially co-opted the machine for his own use and had been producing scores of additional sound samples that Michel was storing and classifying. In his hands, lamented Schaefer, 
the new machine had created extraordinary sound objects by the hundreds, all of which were given some sort of transformative development by Henri. Accordingly, further attempts were made to categorize and classify the sounds by type, source, and even disposition. Schaefer admitted that every attempt at organizing their vast sound library had failed. He and Henri essentially disagreed on a schema for doing so, down to how best to name each sample, where Schaefer preferred the categorization of sounds by their source, for example, locomotives, orchestra, prepared piano, or bird calls, Henri arrived at a completely different method based on the musical temperament of a sound. He favored categorizing them as incidents, climates, and punctuations. The latter plan proved much more useful for making the sound libraries available to radio broadcasters in search of sound effects and mood music, which was a secondary responsibility of the studio. By 1951, tape recorders, audio signal generators, filters, and other audio equipment had become available to Schaefer, Henri, and other composers at GRM providing a much higher resolution audio recording medium than disc lathes and turntables. The early tape work at the French studio continued to use the massive sound library of disc samples as a primary source of audio content for quite some time. There was no going back after the arrival of the tape machine, however, bringing a rapid though unceremonious end to this era of French turntablism. Yet, for a short period from 1949 to 1950, turntablism reigned at the French broadcast studio, and composers, especially Pierre Henri, tackled the challenges of how to compose with turntables and sound samples on disc. Therefore, I would like to play several parts from one of the final pieces of pure turntable music that was created by Pierre Henri. It was called the Concerto of Ambiguities. The entire work consisted of eight parts and lasted for a little more than 20 minutes. I've selected some parts that demonstrate how well Henri utilized the turntable both in editing sound samples on disc, but also using the technology to modify the result. No electronic effects were used by the composer. He focused on using editing to maximize continuity and contrast, applied variable speeds to modify the sound, played some sounds backwards, and employed lock grooves to create repeating patterns. You will hear examples of all of these in parts one, two, three, and five. Let's listen to Pierre Henri's Concerto of Ambiguities. Thank you. 
Now let's run down the remaining tracks you are going to hear. I think these are all pretty much in chronological order when the uh, pieces were composed. Track number two will be Christian Markley, Smoker, an early work from 1981. This was recorded at home on a cassette deck. Track number three will be DJ Shadow and the Groove Robbers. The track is called Hindsight from 1993. Track number four will be the Institute für Feinmotorik, the track A1, recorded live between April and June 1998 in Germany. For turntables, mixer, compressor, various processed records, paper, cardboard, scotch tape, household rubber, wire, and various other odds and ends. Track number five will be Peter Cusack and Nicholas Collins, Hazlitt from A Host of Golden Daffodils, recorded live in concert at Stime in Amsterdam, June 1996. Electronic processes, glitch CD, radio sources, trombone propelled electronics are all by Nick Collins. Guitar, bazooki, whistling, electronics, and sampler triggers by Peter Cusack. Track number six is by an old friend, Genken Montgomery from New York. We're going to listen to Drone Skip Click Loop, an excerpt from 1998, using four CD players and curated sounds in the categories Drone, Skip, Click, and Loop, mixed in real time at a performance at Experimental Intermedia Foundation in New York on March 17, 1998. Now, this is a first example, in this case at CDs, the example of curated source discs or sound platters. I think Marina Rosenfeld calls them dub plates uh, that composers use while they're making their own original music and mixes. Track number seven, Crawling with Tarts, Treacher Track from Turntable Solos by Michael Gendro and Suzanne Dykus Gendro. Track number eight, Yasunao Tone, part one an excerpt from Solo for Wounded CD. All sounds used were from scratched CDs. Track number nine is Philip Jack and Jacob Kierkegaard, Untitled 2, from the album Soaked in 2002, recorded live at the Electronic Lounge in Germany. Track number 10 is by Maria Chavez, Jebus from a tour sampler CD in 2004. This was recorded in Houston, Texas. Turntables and Electronics by Maria Chavez. Track number 11 is Marina Rosenfeld, Three, from Joy of Fear in 2005. Piano, turntables, dub plates, electronics, and sound processing by Marina Rosenfeld. She said on about this record, quote, this record couldn't exist 
without the small collection of one-off acetate records, or dub plates, that I've been making since 1997, when I first encountered Richard Simpson and his disc-cutting lathe in Los Angeles." Unquote. Track number 12 is by old music concrete composer Luke Ferrari and Otomo Yoshihide, Slow Landing. This was composed by Luke Ferrari and with the turntables, electronics, and prepared phono cartridges performed by Otomo Yoshihide. Track number 13 is an interesting artifact of turntablism. It's Christian Markley. It's an excerpt from Record Without a Cover. From uh, This is from a 1999 reissue of his original disc from 1985. It is marked with the instructions, do not store in a protective package. My copy is a reissue of the disc first released in 1985, done by Japanese label Locus Solus in conjunction with Markley. The naked record will naturally become increasingly damaged from shipping, storing, and playing, all this noise becoming part of the record. In essence, the owner is implored to progressively destroy the release, allowing it to become scratched and bruised from accumulating damage that make each copy unique. My copy actually skips a lot. In the passage I am playing, I often had to press the needle down a little bit to get through the skip. There's faintly recorded jazz music found on some of the disc, while other parts are pretty much composed only of surface noise. And it was, and it was one, and it was, and, and it was, and it was a wonderful time. And there was one man there who had one man there was one man there was one man and there was one man there who had one man there who had a long tube on the end of his smoker. And he told us that he was gonna told us that he was gonna put us that he was gonna put us that he was gonna put us that he was gonna pull us and he told and he told and he told of his smoker. And he told the end of his smoke, 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 the end of his smoker. Smoke the end of his tube on the long tube on the end of his smoke, long tube on the end of his smoker. And he told us that he was going to and he told us this in his teaspoonful of this, in his of this, in his smoker. One teaspoon from it set up in it. Put in this jar. Let me see what I have. Let me see what I have. Let me see. And he said, well, you and he said, well, and he went down. He went down and he said, down and he said, down. He went down. He went down. He
wine for a drink. Help the space spirit to by We can, if we from the Holy Spirit, fill a light. in the fact Jesus is alive. You see some
get back in. Jimmy Fulton.
ce qui m'intéresse, c'est une nouvelle manière de considérer le son mm -hmm. et une nouvelle manière de le fabriquer mm -hmm. qui, qui ressemble à ce que nous faisions il y a 50 ans mm -hmm. dans la musique concrète et dans la musique électronique. Mm -hmm. Et finalement, les gens comme euh, Otomo, mm -hmm. Yoshide, oui, oui, euh, quand je l'ai entendu la première fois, j'ai compris que c'était quelqu'un qui faisait de la musique concrète, mmh, mmh. mais en, en direct. Mmh, Ce que nous faisions il y a 50 ans mmh. euh, dans les studios.
that's part two of maximum turntablism. Turntablism will always be relevant to future episodes of this podcast, but I thought it was worthwhile exploring its roots in experimental music and giving attention to the female and male artists who have brought it along. Please refer to the playlist for this episode for a complete rundown of the works played. You can also go to my blog for my notes for this episode. And now we have the archive mix in which I play two additional tracks at the same time to see what happens. Here are two more tracks of modern experimental turntablism. Sonata Sugutu, Air Pocket, from 1997, played at the same time as Mersbau, that's Tutti, the Nightingale Song, from 1985. heard on this podcast, unless otherwise indicated, comes from the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music, a curated collection of vintage vinyl recordings. All crackles, surface noise, and other imperfections are purely intentional. All intro, outro, and other incidental music is by Tom Holmes. 
for a complete playlist, go to theholmesarchive.podbean.com. So long from deep inside the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music.